before I open the scriptures with you, I thought that you might appreciate an apocryphal story that you may not have heard. The story is told that when George and Glenda moved to Dallas, uh, George got a job working on the second shift. Because they were hard up financially, uh, he decided to walk to work. So he'd walk in the afternoon to his second shift job and return at night. And he had to walk through a cemetery. And it was the Chinese division of the cemetery. So night after night, George would walk through the cemetery and whistle a little tune to keep himself company. George didn't know it, but there was a Chinese gentleman that also walked in that cemetery at night. And a few minutes before George's time came. And unbeknownst to both of them, there was a freshly drug grave right in the pathway that they chose. So the Chinese gentleman was making his way through the cemetery. And lo and behold, he fell in the freshly, freshly dug grave. Well, he began to jump and claw and scratch and try to get out of this cemetery hole. And he would finally fall back to the ground. He gave a Herculean push thinking he would get out. And exhausted, he fell over in the corner of the darkness of the freshly dug grave. Not long thereafter, he heard some footsteps. And lo and behold, you know who it was. And he too fell into the grave. It was dark. He didn't see the gentleman over in the corner of the grave. And so like the Chinese gentleman, George began to crawl and scratch and do everything. The earth would give away and he would fall back, fall back to the ground, the bottom of the grave. And he gave a Herculean push thinking, I'll get out this time. But he didn't. And exhausted, he fell back down to the ground. And by this time, the Chinese gentleman, whom George hadn't seen, gained enough strength to say, no giddy out of here. <laughs> but George did he. <laughs> I suppose we all would have found fresh strength hearing a voice so beautifully timed. I would like you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. A great portion of God's word. And though my comments will reflect upon verses, primarily verses 1 through 19, at this time I'm going to read verses 15 through 19. And you will discover that this is a great prayer. One of the great, truly magnificent prayers of the Bible. Prayed by a deeply spiritual man. By any measurement, one of the great men of God in history. Beginning in verse 15, we read Daniel 9. And now, O Lord our God who have brought us your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O oh Lord, 
in accordance with all your righteous acts. Let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear, hear, open your eyes, and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Before we look to the Lord in a word of prayer, asking for his mercies upon our considerations today, I wish to invite you to join me in praying, Lord God, what is your agenda for me today? Lord, do I need spiritual repairs? Let me be responsive to you, O Lord. Father, in my weakness, let me turn to you for your strength. And Lord, help me to be sensitive to my iniquities that are known and that are unknown. And Father, may my conscience be attuned to the ministry of your spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, only you are holy, and only your God, and only you are capable of ministry to our needs. Only you can quicken our souls. Only you can assist our church. Only you, Lord, can hear our prayers in behalf of our nation and a needy world. We pray that as we consider your word this day, that we will have hearts quickened by the Spirit of God in such a manner that the Lord will have his way in our thoughts, in our hearts, and in our respective consciences. And we pray that as we reflect upon the scripture, the Spirit of God will minister. And we recall the words of Jesus, that the Spirit would take the things of Christ and show them to us. We are needy people. Minister to us individually. Minister to us as a church. Minister to our families. And Lord, have mercy upon our nation. We pray in the wonderful and gracious name of the Son of God, 
who laid down his life and rose from the dead that we might have life. Thank you for his promise that he's coming again. And thank you today that he functions as the great head of the church. We offer our prayers in the name of Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. Not long ago, I was awakened in the middle of a nighttime dream. If you're like me, I sometimes dream when I've had too much dinner spaghetti. (laughs) On other occasions, our dreams reflect worries and cares that pass our way. And sometimes dreams carry no meaning for us whatever. But this dream was different. I could not ever remember dreaming about the topic that arose in my mind while I was sleeping. And so as I awakened, I lay there and thought about what I had dreamed. What had come to my mind? Revivals and spiritual awakenings were deeply impressed in my nighttime thoughts. And as I lay there in the darkness... I began to reflect upon many of the great revivals of the Bible and many of the great revivals of history about which I have learned through years of teaching in school. I eventually drifted off to sleep. When I awakened in the morning, the thought was there in my mind with a sharpness. And I began to wonder, God, are you trying to say something to me? Are you nudging me in a direction you wish me to go? And so I determined, I believe providentially, to begin to study the great revivals of history and to think through what the Word of God had to say about spiritual awakenings. My studies led me, among other things, to Daniel chapter 9 and the great prayer that Daniel expressed there in behalf of his people. It is a model prayer for any saint in any age, in any place, respecting needs for the work of God to be manifest among the people of God. And so in this prayer and in my thinking, I realized that I had need of revival. It's difficult to study revival without realizing I need spiritual renewal. I need spiritual awakening. People around me need spiritual awakening. And God knows that our nation needs revival. We remember the great words of Solomon in 2 Second Chronicles chapter 7. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and bring healing to their land. Billy Graham said not long ago, I believe the storm clouds are darker than they have ever been. The world has dramatically changed. Erwin Lutzer distinguished pastor of Moody Church said in one of his books, at root we must remember that our battle in America is spiritual, not political. 
We could bring in a new political order. But what about the spiritual needs that are so prevalent among us? We must remember God has a heart for our country. And as I was studying, I came across some statistical data. In 1962, to show you what our country has been like in recent times, the Bible was beginning to be removed from public schools. In 1973, we legalized the killing of the unborn. In 1980, the Ten Commandments were beginning to be removed from our public schools. In 1992, minors would no longer need to get their parents' consent to have an abortion. In 1996, deviants were recognized as a minority group in our country. In 2003, gay marriage was legalized. Now, 70% of church young people, after they finish college, are leaving the church and no longer practicing their faith. Now we're arguing over what bathrooms to use in public arenas. The chaplains in the military are being censored and are being directed to engage in political correctness as they seek to fulfill their ministry. Paul Nyquist, the president of Moody Bible Institute, was right when he said, apart from a gracious intervention from God, the nation is not going back to the culture and values it once held. Now listen, can revival come? Can spiritual awakenings take place? Think back with me to 800 B.C., Two of the worst political leaders of history were in power over ancient Israel. They were Ahab, a spineless king, and Jezebel, who was one of the most wicked women who ever lived. God, however, raised up a man, and God often stirs the heart of an individual, and it spreads to other people. And Elijah challenged the priests and prophets of Baal. And God brought a spiritual awakening. And 7,000 people said, we will no longer bow to Baal. We will bow to the true God. In 700 B.C., Nineveh was a wicked pagan city. But God touched a prophet. And he raised up a reluctant prophet, but he eventually made his way. And through his preaching, the whole area turned to the Lord God. Religious life was burning low in the first century when Jesus came. And a little handful of his followers prayed. The place was shaken. Pentecost came, and the early church was born, and you read the book of Acts, and you see spiritual awakenings taking place in that part of the world. The place was shaken. Europe, in the 1500s, was far from God, but God stirred the heart of a Roman Catholic priest who was teaching in Wittenberg University the book of Romans. 
And God opened his eyes to justification by faith. And a spiritual awakening was on throughout Europe and printing had been invented. And the word of God was being translated and going out to people. And the Lord was raising up great spiritual crusaders like John Calvin, like Melanchthon, like Zwingli. And John Knox, that great man of Scotland who feared God, he had such a vital prayer ministry that Mary, the Catholic Queen of Scots, said she feared the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men. Oh, that God would stir my heart and our hearts to be fervent in our prayers. Jonathan Edwards in July the 8th in 1741 preached his great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Historians tell us that people fell under such conviction that they held on to church pews and grabbed trees to keep from falling into the fires of hell. In 1802... A Methodist lay preacher stood on a fallen log in Bourbon County, Kentucky. And the Spirit of God fell in awesome influence. And a revival that was, was underway that lasted for 20 years. In 1904, through the preaching and ministry of Evan Roberts, a hundred thousand people profess faith in Christ. So studies of renewal and revival led me to Daniel and his great prayer. And this passage of Scripture shows us something, that prayer is vital to divine help in crisis times. We live in crisis times. And prayer, the book of Daniel illustrates, is vital to receiving divine help from above in crisis times. Now Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, falls into three divisions. In verses 1 through 4, we find that Daniel's prayer reflected truth. Secondly, in the text, we observe that Daniel's prayer revealed sins, verses 5 through 13. And thirdly, we see in verses 14 through 19, Daniel's prayer requested pardon. Now think with me, out of verses 1 through 4, in this great reflection of truth, we see in these verses that Daniel's prayer reflected truth about the Word of God. And secondly, it reflected truth about the person of God. Now, Second Chronicles chapter 36 is a valuable historical background to what took place in Daniel's prayer. It is a record of what happened before the Jewish people were taken into captivity. 
The Bible tells us in that chapter that the kings, the political leaders, did evils and abominations. It also tells us that the religious leaders, the priests, were unfaithful in their duties. It also also surveys for us what was happening in the culture of the people. They mocked the messengers of God. They despised the words of the prophets. And wrath arose until there was no remedy. And God brought judgment. And he's very capable of bringing judgment. And as Mrs. Graham said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We live in desperate times. What a day for the church to be a thing of power. What a day for the individual believer to rise up and say, I will not be conformed to this world. I will, by the mercy of God, be transformed in the renewing of my mind and the yielding of my body to the cause of Christ and righteousness. Spiritual awakenings start with people. They sometimes then rise to nations, such as happened with the great missionary Titus Cohen in the Hawaiian Islands in the 1830s. He himself baptized 11,000 people, and conviction was so great that the Hawaiian people fell down to the ground, crying out, the two-edged sword of God is cutting my heart. Spiritual awakenings can happen, and they often arise in dark times. I heard Chuck Swindoll say not long ago that our country has come to a time of famine with reference to the Scriptures and the Word of God, and I agree. For example, we have positivism as a philosophy Replacing biblical faith in some of the preaching we hear and see on television. We see materialism being passed off as God's blessing. We think and listen to humanism that's taking the place of theism. We observe so many trends in our country, and I find myself as I think about it, what would happen? What would happen if God's people would begin to engage in texting God? What would happen if we engaged with God on Facebook? What would happen if we Googled God to see what he would say to us? Men... What would happen if we in a larger measure assumed our responsibility as spiritual leaders in our families? So Daniel saw in the word of God, he observed in the books, he's talking about Jeremiah. And moreover, he illustrates something that J. Edwin Orr 
historian and scholar on the subject of revivals. He said that revivals fall into two categories. One of them is word-driven, the scripture. And another of them is the experience-driven. The experience-driven revival does not have the lasting effects of a word-driven revival. So as Daniel prayed, he was studying the Bible. He was studying the Scripture, and his prayer would be based on what the Scripture had to say. And then I love what we read in verses 3 and 4. Daniel's prayer reflected truth, not only about the Word of God, but the person of God. Now think with me here. He says initially in verse 3, I gave my attention. And the literal rendering here is, I gave my face to God. It can be illustrated when two sweethearts, deeply in love, look longingly into the faces of one another. Or when a mother with a newborn baby holds that little infant in her arms and looks in that baby's face. Daniel said, I gave my face to God. His heart was broken, and he was concerned about his countrymen. And he's a model for us. The nation was in dire straits, captives in a foreign land. But it was time for them to go back to their homeland. What condition would they be in as they went back to their homeland? And as God began to answer that prayer of that great man of God, I love I love the emphasis that we see here in this passage of Scripture. I gave my attention to the Lord God. And the word there is Adonai. It is speaking of God and all of his awesome splendor, his power, and his glory. He's the kind of God who's not intimidated by the devil or all of his demons. Martin Luther had it right. When he said, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Aren't you glad we serve a God who is sovereign over heaven and earth. And Daniel was minded of that, mindful of that as he fasted and as he prayed like our Lord did. On the threshold of his public ministry, he fasted and he prayed. And the word for prayer here is emphatic as he prayed. I prayed to the Lord. He's speaking of the fervency of his prayer. It wasn't now, lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul. No, this was earnest intercession before an awesome holy God. And it was a spiritually minded man who was calling on the Lord of heaven to do something in the lives of his countrymen. 
Oh, Lord God. Oh, Adonai. He prayed. He uses another word for the Lord in verse 4. When he says, Alas, O Lord, here it is the word Yahweh. And he's thinking of God in terms of the covenant relationship that God has with his people. The same kind of relationship that the believer has with our maker and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was very mindful. And notice also, he refers to his Lord as Lord my God. That was the relationship that he treasured with the Lord. Prayer based on relationship. What's my relationship as I pray to my heavenly father? What is it? He uses the word awesome here. Lord, the awesome God, great. This God had sustained Daniel when he was a youth in a foreign land. Gave him courage and spiritual backbone to stand up to the pressures of the Babylonian governmental system. It was this God who enabled him to be such a wise counselor to kings and rulers. It was this God who kept him safe in the den of lions when he wouldn't bow down. And he refers to this God as the awesome God. One of my five children said to me one time, and I won't tell you his name, but uh, you can pick him out with the color of his hair. <coughs> he said, Daddy, when you raise your voice, I become scared of you. Well, I don't want my children to be fearful of me. But sometimes an authoritative, awesome word is needful to keep order in a family and in the life of a growing child. And so he thought of this God as one who inspired reverence and trust. So his prayer reflected truth. Secondly, it reveals sins. Sins that were personal and sins that were national. Notice what he says. There are six entries in verses 5 and 6 telling us of the personal sins that Daniel was expressing. And he tells us here in verse 5, we have sin. That is a great parallel to Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he is saying we have missed the mark. We have not been in accordance with your standards, O Lord. He also said we have committed iniquity. And literally, the idea behind that statement is that we have twisted, we have bent the truth to suit our own standards, to suit our own teaching. Thirdly, he said, we have committed, or rather, we have acted wickedly. And there he's raising sin to a felony level. He is speaking of deep, deep iniquities in the hearts and behaviors of some people. 
And he said, we have rebelled like Satan, like Lucifer and the demons rebelled. And like a wayward son who might be brought up as was the prodigal son under the teaching and love of a father, but he turned away. He turned away. We've rebelled. We've turned aside. We have refused to obey and not listen to the prophets. God had given to them great prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many of those we call the minor prophets, some 12 of them, at least 11 of them, referring to the times to which Daniel was making reference. We've not listened. And as I reflected upon that, I thought of my own country. We've had great men and women of God in our nation's history. And by and large, they have not been listened to. Thank the Lord for Jonathan Edwards. Thank the Lord for George Whitfield, that great British evangelist that made 20 trips to America and preached to great crowds of thousands of people in his life and ministry. We have not listened. I've studied the life of Francis Asbury, a great Methodist missionary to his country, this country, and God used him in a wonderful way in spiritual awakenings and revivals. I've read about Charles Finney, tremendous man of God in the 1800s. I've read several biographies of Dwight L. Moody. And God used him to shake our nation in the late 1800s and early 1900s. J. Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, and others would include the godly men and women who are examples and teachers and preachers of the Word of God throughout our country. By and large, our country is guilty of many personal sins. Is it not time for us to pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Is it not time to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. When I look in my heart, I'm guided by the theological teachings and biblical declarations concerning my heart. There are needs therein. And perhaps it is true of your heart as well. Do we need to ask the question, does my thought life need to be edited? Am I giving time to God and his word? Am I growing spiritually? Do I have a vital, regular, effective prayer life? Do I need to confess something? 
Even in Christians, the conscience can become hardened and we delay getting right with God when the Lord is speaking to us and there are things we need to confess to Him and own up to it. And the devil says, what will people think about you? If you start talking about your waywardness, what will they think? We have to come to the point where we don't care what people think if it means getting right with God. Creating me a clean heart. Or is my conscience becoming hardened? Now the sins to which the prophet makes reference were personal, but they were also national. And you see in verses 7 through 14 an allusion to Judah the southern kingdom, an allusion to Jerusalem, the great holy city, Israel, the northern kingdom that had uh, migrated somewhat and some had been taken captive out, but he had them all in mind. And what did he say? He said, we are guilty of unfaithful deeds in verse 7. We have sinned in verse 8. We have rebelled in verse 9. We have not obeyed. We have transgressed in verse 11. We've not sought God's favor, verse 13. We've not obeyed in verse 14. National sin. I don't have to tell you what the national sins are in our country. We know them. But God help us to pray for our country and to pray for all those that are in authority. I don't like much that is happening in the political order of the times. And I'm not looking to a president or a political party to solve the problems of our nation. There's some decisions I wish they would make. But at the heart of our nation, our problems are spiritual. And we are fighting a spiritual battle. And to fight it effectively, we have to live in a right relationship with God. And on occasion, that calls for spiritual renewal and revival and spiritual awakening in our hearts and in our midst. I thought about our country and some statistical data that I read recently. We are murdering the unborn at the rate of 4,000 a day. We have 5% of the world's population, but we are consuming over half of the illegal drugs being used in the modern age. We spend some $3 billion, billion a year on internet porn. Cohabitation in our country has increased tenfold since 1960. Our marriage collapse is the highest of any nation. Some three million children are victims of abuse and mistreatment every year. Some 1.6 million women are in 
the recipients of domestic violence in our land. Now we have children killing children in public schools. We experience more than 12 million crimes a year. Now, Moses told the Jewish people what would happen if they forsook God. And it's something of a commentary on our own nation. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15 and following, there are several things that Moses said, this is what will happen. God led him to declare what would happen if the nation forsook God. He said there will be no geographical escape. You can't run and hide. The produce of the land will break down. Families will break down. The economy will turn to ruins. Confusion will reign in the public arena. Various illnesses will come in large measure. You'll be defeated by your enemies. Oppression and robbery will be commonplace. Mental illness will prevail. Idolatry will soar. Aliens will exalt themselves over you. Invasion and defeat and plague. God told them what would happen. And what's going to happen to us without personal and national renewal. Daniel's prayer reflected truth. It reveals sins. But thirdly, it requested pardon. And what a model this is for your and my prayer life. This pardon entailed by ending your wrath upon us. And it also entailed by forgiving our sins, hearing your servant. Look at what Daniel says in verse 15. He reminds God in his prayer, and God doesn't need reminding, but Daniel referred to the great exodus and the mercy that had been poured out upon his people when they were brought out of Egypt. An entire people were delivered, and God had mercy on them. We are reminded, we are reminded that God can change the course of nations. God can alter and modify history as it needs to be. His arm is not short. A spiritual awakening is a possibility. It can happen to an individual. Yes, it can happen to a church, but wait a minute, aren't we being blessed? Yes, we're being blessed. Well, after all, we are in a nice building, aren't we? And uh, we're paying our bills on time, aren't we? But is that the full measure of the spiritual health of a church? And I'm not here pointing fingers at one another here. I think we will all concur with the fact that there's room for spiritual improvement in our lives and always in our church and churches 
in our country. God have mercy. And again we think of Hezekiah's great prayer. I love that passage in Isaiah when the Assyrian nation was coming upon the nation of Judah and Hezekiah, a godly king, had the threatening letter from the Assyrian leadership. And he went in the temple of God to pray and he laid out before God that letter. And what happened? In the morning, in the morning, 185,000 Assyrian warriors could not rise. The death angel had struck them in answer to prayer. In the words of the song, Our God is an awesome God. And he says, Please have mercy on your city. The temple is there. You promised it to the Jews and their descendants that we would can be delivered from our reproach in accordance with all your righteous acts. He also says, end your wrath and hear your servant. He says in verse 17, and I love the expression here when he says, let your face shine. Let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Here is spiritual renewal. The temple needed to be rebuilt. The religious life of the nation needed to be corrected and improved. And worship restored in the temple and among the people of God. I shudder to think where our nation would be right now. If Franklin Graham hadn't traveled throughout America holding prayer meetings for the country in every capital city, it's simply Hughley's opinion that God, I believe God is leaving us with an element of mercy. He's able to pour upon us showers of blessing as a nation if we meet his standards. And he prays, Lord, not on the basis of our merits, in verse 18, but on the basis of your great compassion. Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, 22, be, uh, his compassions never fail. Let me ask you a question. Did God love David after he sinned with Bathsheba? Oh, yes, he did. And his love drew, drew David back to himself. And he earned the testimony of having and being a man after God's own heart. Did God love Peter after he cursed and swore and denied Jesus three times? Yes. God not only forgave him. Jesus said, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. It wasn't long thereafter that Peter was preaching the great Pentecostal sermon. And thousands were born into the kingdom of 
God. The prayer was based on God's character. Did God love the people? Yes. Does he love us as individuals? Oh, yes, he does. And weren't we struck with how Stephen in Sunday school and in our church service was trying to help the Japanese people to learn about the person of God and eventually to know that he's a God of love who forgives sins. What a privilege and responsibility it is to pray with a dear brother and his dear Kate who is, is his beloved wife, to pray for him and his family and their co-workers in Japan. Oh, Lord, three times he calls out in the passage. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. Oh, my God, do not delay. This was a fervent prayer. It is a strong reminder that prayer is vital to divine help in crisis times. Did God hear his prayer? I love the verses following in verse 20 and thereafter. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people, Gabriel appears. That special angel that archangel of God who appeared to minister to Daniel. And I want to tell you something about Daniel as a man of God. Something is said about him three times in the book of Daniel that's said of no other person. Over uh, some three times the scripture says, you are a man highly esteemed. Wouldn't you like to have a reputation like that when you get before the judgment seat of Christ? Hey, if you're like me, I'm working on that. I want to have a heart like that. And to be a person that's highly esteemed by the Lord God, my maker. While I was praying, and would his prayers be answered? Yes, they would. The prophecy of Jeremiah would be fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar would lead a cadre of people back and he would rebuild the city, rebuild the wall around the city. Zerubbabel would come and rebuild the temple. And Ezra the priest would come and it says in chapter 7 verse 10 of his book that he set his heart to studying the word and teaching the word so that the word of God would saturate the minds and hearts of the people and they could be stabilized. And God raised up Haggai the prophet. And we see here what J. Edwin Orr calls a word-driven revival through and through. What a day to study the Word. What a day to base our prayers on the Scriptures. And what a day to yield ourselves to God that we might be used in His service. Solomon gave us four things in 714, 2 Chronicles. He said, first of all, if my people have humility... How do we need to pray this vital prayer? Humbly. If my people will humble themselves. Secondly, pray. 
if my people will pray and seek my face. And if my people will have spiritual hunger that's entailed in seeking the face of God. And if my people will repent, turn from their wicked ways. Solomon said in Proverbs 28 verse 13, the person who conceals his sins, transgressions, will not prosper. But one who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So we see again, we see again that prayer and the scripture are so vital to divine help in crisis times. What's your crisis today? What are you facing? Is there some personal sin, some transgression, some waywardness known in your heart, but perhaps not known to others? Are you facing some tricky job situation? Are there some fractures and cracks in your marriage? Is there a health issue that is a crisis issue with you? Are you involved in some financial crunch? Are you seeking God in guidance matters? Are you just simply overwhelmed by the pressures of life? Again, Daniel shows us that prayer is vital to divine help in crisis times. What do I do then, Lord, with your word? You there in your pew when we pray in a moment. You can have some divine transactions between yourself and God. And as John wrote, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There in the pew. Sometimes people wish to be public with it and come to an old-fashioned altar prayer. That will be open to you as we have a closing hymn in a moment. And I assure you, if you desire it, there will be people who will come and pray with you and will help you. Shall we bow for our closing prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Do in our hearts what needs to be done. Do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And we know that the Holy Spirit is one who not only can bring conviction, who not only can prod our consciences, but who can help us and strengthen us towards the spiritual renewal that we may need. And in our prayer lives, O oh Lord, let us not to forget to pray for our nation and our countrymen and for one another that God may have glory in us individually and collectively and as a nation. For Jesus' sake, with thanksgiving we pray. Amen.